Mr Kishida promised to double the government budget for children by June. You're listening to the news on RTHK. Ukraine has dismissed President Putin's announcement of a 36-hour ceasefire to coincide with the Russian Orthodox Christmas. President Zelensky said the truce was an attempt to stop Ukraine's military advances and allow Russian forces and equipment to move closer to Ukrainian positions. The ceasefire is due to come into effect at midday on Friday. A Ukrainian MP, Oleksiy Goncharenko, said Mr Putin should not be trusted. It's clear hypocrisy from Putin when he's speaking about some Christmas ceasefire. It's more like a Judas kiss from him. It's Russia who started this war. And if he really wants a peace, it's very easy to achieve it, uh, just to leave our territory. And that's all. But he doesn't want any peace in reality. He just wants to win the time to replenish, refresh his troops and then to attack again. Violence has spread across the Mexican state of Sinaloa after the arrest of one of the leaders of a powerful criminal gang. Ovidio Guzman is a senior figure in the Sinaloa cartel and the son of Joaquin El Capo Guzman, who's serving a life sentence in the U.S. The BBC's Leonardo Rocha reports from Mexico. Mexico's Secretary of Defense, Luis Sandoval, said Ovidio was captured in the northern city of Culiacán in the early hours of Thursday. He said the arrest came at the end of a six-month surveillance operation, which had the assistance of U.S. officials. Gang members have since set up roadblocks with burning vehicles. The local airport was attacked and at least one airplane was hit by bullets as it prepared to take off. Residents have been told to stay at home while the authorities try to regain control of the situation. Ovidio Guzman has been transferred to a safe location in Mexico City. You're listening to the news on RTHK. Thanks, Barry. Good morning. It is Friday the 6th of January. This is James Ross. In the headlines this morning, the U.S. trade deficit in November narrowed more than anticipated on a fall in imports. U.S. Commerce Department figures show the overall trade deficit dropped $16 billion to $61.5 billion, the narrowest since 2020. Imports falling 6.4% to $313 billion, with drops in pharmaceuticals, vehicles, mobile phones and household items. Uh, Exports down 2% to $251.9 billion with a slide in industrial supplies and materials. The U.S. deficit with China also narrowed further to $20 billion, also on a drop in imports. A crypto-focused bank Silvergate is to cut 40% of its staff as the crisis in the digital asset sector sparked by the collapse of FTX rumbles on. Uh, the meltdown in the sector triggered a $8 billion run on deposits held by Silvergate in the final quarter of last year. The California-based bank was forced to sell assets at a loss of $718 million, that according to a statement overnight. Uh, First, Abu Dhabi Bank says it had explored a potential bid for Standard Chartered Bank, but is no longer evaluating that bid. The announcement followed a report by Bloomberg that FAB had been considering an offer for the bank. Uh, Shares in Standard Chartered were trading overnight up 6%, having jumped 20% when the initial interest was first reported. Amazon
Amazon yesterday announced plans to cut more than 18,000 jobs, the largest number in the firm's history to save costs. Uh, most of the job losses will come from its consumer retail business and its HR division. Amazon CEO Andy Jassy blamed an uncertain economy for the cuts. Bloomberg reporting that amidst the mainland's slumping property market, measures are now being extended that allow cities to lower mortgage rates for China's first home buyers if newly constructed house prices drop for three consecutive months. That according to a statement from the central bank and banking regulator last night, which said the measures will, quote, form a long-term mechanism to support a stable and healthy property market. And Nikkei reporting that the world's third largest PC seller, Dell, plans to stop using China-made semiconductors by 2024. The initiative is part of the company's efforts to diversify its manufacturing supply chain. Dell's goal is to have all of the chips used in its products to be sourced from outside China by the end of next year. Well, we'll be joined on the show today by Andrew Ferris, CEO of Ecognosis Advisory, and from New York by Matt Nesto, longtime journalist and market watcher, currently editor-in-chief at Payments.com and focused on the digital economy and fintech. Later in the show, we'll dive into the world of oil and energy and bring in Vandana Hari, uh, founder of Vanda Insights. Don't forget, if you have any questions for our guests, you can email us at moneytalk at rthk.hk. Text us on 63935925, our Facebook page, Money Talk on RTHK Radio 3, and on Twitter, we're at Money Talk Radio 3. Money Talk on RTHK Radio 3. Well, let's have a quick look at the markets. And starting on Wall Street, uh, strong U.S. hiring data translated into another round of worries about interest rates. With U.S. stocks ending sharply lower, U.S. private employment was up by 235,000 jobs last month, more than expected. Uh, that ahead of Friday's government jobs report. Uh, analysts expect the U.S. economy added 210,000 jobs in December and that the unemployment stayed at 3.7%. The Dow finishing down 1% at 32,930. The S&P 500 down at 1.2% at 3,808 and the Nasdaq dropping 1.5% to 10,305. Uh, Amazon lost 2.4% on that news that it's cutting 18,000 jobs. Other large techs had a rough session too. Microsoft losing 3% and Google parent Alphabet down 2.2%. European stocks falling for the first time in three days with the Sox Europe 600 down 0.2% to 439 as that strength in the US labor market fueled bets that the Fed will continue uh, raising rates to fight inflation. The German DAX down 0.338% to 14,436. The, Fra- the French CAC 40 down two tenths of 1% to 6,761. The FTSE 100 though up 0.6% at 7,633. Uh, shares in Standard Chartered soaring after Bloomberg reported that news that first Abu Dhabi Bank had been exploring a bid for the UK lender, but later trimmed gains after the bank said it's no longer doing so. Hong Kong stocks extending their 2023 rally yesterday in lines with gains across Asia as traders grew optimistic about the reopening of China's economy. The Hang, the hang Seng up 1.3% to 21,052. The Shanghai Composite up 1% to 3,155 and the Shenzhen Composite rising 1.6% to 2,037. Uh, shares of Luxshare Precision Industry listed in Shenzhen up more than 3%. Uh, Luxshare is one of Apple's China, uh, Chinese contract manufacturers and rose after the FT reported that it will sign a contract to produce premium iPhones. 
Uh, Tokyo's blue chip stocks up yesterday after Wall Street's gains as U.S. markets shrugged off messaging from the Fed reiterating its commitment to lowering inflation. The Nikkei 225 up one quarter of a percent to 25,820. A new car sales in Japan dropping 5.6% in 2022 from the previous year to their lowest level in 45 years. In the commodities market, Brent crude currently trading up 1.3% at $78.84 a barrel. Copper up 2.1% at $382.10 a pound. Spot gold up a fraction at $1,833.06 an ounce. The 10-year bond in the U.S. currently showing a yield of 3.72%. Uh, the euro buying a dollar and five cents at the moment, and the U.S. dollar standing at 133.42 Japanese yen. The pound buying 9.3 Hong Kong dollars. The yuan standing at 6.88 uh, against the U- U.S. dollar. Uh, Bitcoin currently 16,846 U.S. dollars. And looking uh, at the ASX uh, 200 in Sydney at the moment, currently up one quarter of a percent. 7,082. Hang Seng Futures looking at the moment as though the market will uh, open about uh, three quarters of a percent higher. Well, let's turn to our guest now. And uh, first of all, uh, let's welcome Andrew Ferris, uh, CEO of E-Cognosis, sorry, Ecognosis Advisory, um, who is in Uruguay once more. Uh, good morning. Good evening, uh, Andrew. Good evening and good morning. <laughs> and uh, the same to Matt Nesto, Editor-in-Chief at Payments.com, longtime journalist and market watcher in New York. Uh, good evening, Matt. And longtime James Ross fan. Thank you, James. Good, good Friday to you. <laughs> nice to have you on the show, uh, both of you. And uh, Matt, maybe let's just start with that uh, that Amazon story. Uh, Eighteen thousand jobs being cut. I mean, the workforce is much bigger than that. Three hundred thousand in the corporate workforce. One point five million uh, around the world. So it's a relatively small amount of, uh, uh, of of cuts, I suppose. But nevertheless, it's uh, fairly impactful in uh, a particular market that's been growing very. Very much in the last couple of years. Uh, how are you seeing that impacting the digital economy, the fintech world? Well, you know, the, the layoffs are always concerning, uh, especially with a big marquee company like Amazon, which had grown so fast and had, um, you know, prior to the, the past 12, 15 months had done so, so well. So, you know, it's not unexpected um, and they're aggressive. They've been, you know, tightening and cutting costs and, and doing more with less, to quote what the CFO said on their third quarter earnings call. Um, so, yeah, I mean, in the great scheme, as you said, a million and a half employees, if it was going to be 10,000 or 15 or 18, it's uh, a, a rounding error. But it, you know, makes for good, it makes for a, a good discussion point and people starting to look at now with the price of Amazon literally being cut in half, by a billion dollars in market value over the past 12 months, people start to wonder if it's an entry point, if the stock is cheap enough. And so I think that becomes more of the question. And you layer in the economic headwinds, the concerns, and the other businesses. But, you know, Amazon's, uh, you know, web services business kind of flies more incognito underneath the retail business than many people look at. And so that also has to be taken into the um, consideration there's also rumors out there somebody was floating the idea 
that maybe Jeff Bezos was going to come out of retirement. He wouldn't be the first CEO to do so, but uh, there's there, there's that in the wind as well. So it certainly is a, a high-focus name and will continue to be so. Yeah, well, we certainly saw that with Bob Iger coming back uh, to uh, lead Disney after two years away, and uh, maybe that would be an interesting thing if uh, Bezos uh, uh, did come back. Uh, do you think it has um, uh, you know, deeper implications for other parts of the fintech industry, though? Well, you know, Amazon's market share of e-commerce in the U.S. is astonishing. It's almost 50%. It's in the mid-40% range, our data analysis has showed. And so, you know, that, that's a huge, obvious uh, moat around that business. People love Am- Amazon. The people that sign up for uh, Amazon Prime, their renewal rate is north of 90%. So they're doing a lot of different things. They're adding content. They're trying to keep people in. They're very, very good at retaining um, customers. The, they, they've trained consumers to... Uh, shop in a different way to wait a day or two for things that they might want to get themselves. But, you know, they're, they're, we're seeing a shortening of that delivery uh, time horizon. People are expecting things sometimes the same day, and that's where, like, a, a curbside, go pick it up at the store, might work better. So there's a lot of um, stress and strain in terms of how to meet the consumer, as they say, where they want and when they want. And, you know, their, their, their battle, their ongoing battle for supremacy with Walmart, at least domestically in the U.S. and, and globally, too, to a lesser degree, uh, is a very, very interesting fight because they both want to emulate the strength of the other. Walmart, of course, with a huge footprint of physical stores, uh, that's an incredible advantage for them to use the store as a fulfillment center. They have all that stuff and all those giant super centers, whereas Amazon still has to get that fleet of trucks out there and bring things to your door, which is a wonderful thing when it all goes well. So it's going to be continue to be a, a huge fight uh, on, on that. And you layer in the economic concerns. We've seen slowing growth rates, not declining uh, sales, yeah, but slowing growth rates. They're still growing, but the profitability will be the key. Does it make sense to have a giant bundle of paper towels delivered in two days to your house versus to pick it up from the store? And that's where the economic question starts to come in. Uh, Andrew, talking, uh, turning to another story that's uh, out there at the moment, and that's the um, FTX uh, issues rumbling on with Silvergate cutting uh, 40% of its staff. How, how are you seeing that uh, affecting things going forward as a watcher of, the, of cryptocurrencies, perhaps? Let me, not only a watcher, but an abject, complete, dedicated hater. I think uh, cryptos are an abomination, a financial abomination. No strong views then. <laughs> no, absolutely not. Okay, you hear a very balanced view in here. Now, what absolutely shocked me, and I absolutely adored it, is that FTX proved in writing that cryptos are backed by absolutely nothing because FTX had the temerity to back their loans by their own issues of cryptos only to find out, of course, that these things are not backed by anything. You know, people just don't get it, okay, that cryptos are just digital thin air. It is uh, the greater fool's uh, investment proposition, and that is you buy it on the expectation that somebody else will buy it. And at long last, in the case of FTX, it was not just... Uh, anyway, it is still subject to judgment. It was not just simply misallocating or even misappropriating clients' uh, money. It was simply using their own 
issue of crypto to back their own proposals stroke balance sheet, only to find out, only for clients to find out, that when they came to ask their money back, it was backed by nothing. And I will never cease to grab anybody by their lapels and say, you buy crypto, you buy nothing. And here is FTX, the signing big proof. Will this do anything to the attractiveness of cryptos? I have the slightly secret delight that it will not, because I like seeing fools and their money being continuously patted. Matt, would you say that uh, watching across the US that, 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 that this all came as a bit of a shock, or, or, or was it ready to re- ready to happen? You know, I, I, first of all, I've never met Andrew, but I love him already. I would just say it, it's a it's a shock to some who were in on the party. And if you look at the venture capitalists in California that were invited to this free money party that are supposedly the, and I'm using air quotes here, James, smart money that know the, you know, pick these stocks and these companies and these trends in advance and they get in early. They were in for the free ride. They did not ask the questions. They did not do the due diligence. And the whole thing was a giant free pass from crypto itself to individual players. And FTX had grown to unthinkable uh, size without anybody looking under the hood. And so a surprise? Yeah, I guess. But as as uh, Andrew said, you know, for, for long-term crypto skeptics, um, I think that come up and the, the surprises that the come up, it's happened in, in real time. You typically don't get to see, they say what revenge is a dish best served cold, but I think uh, that that truth um, for for people that are that have been skeptical typically doesn't come that fast. Uh, and let's it, emphasize one. Mm, let's me, sorry, very briefly. Let's emphasize it was not actually the whole thing started not by somebody doubting the cryptos. It was simply FTX not being able to pay their debts. Very simple. Okay, and that was could have happened to anybody. Could have happened to a crypto company that was managing its assets well. In other words, if it had uh, sort of uh, cryptos backed by one-on-one basis by U.S. dollar. But the beauty of that was that FTX had the temerity to back their assets by their own, in inverted commas, printing money. I mean, this is what made it so beautiful. Not only you had a crypto company doing the wrong things, but it also put with huge neon capital letters, remember, guys, this ain't backed by nothing. Okay, let's turn to another subject. Um, Andrew, you're in uh, Uruguay at the moment, uh, just around the corner from uh, Brazil. Uh, new president, uh, Lula da Silva, uh, starting there. What, what are the implications, would you say? Well, there, there are three implications. First, it's very nice to see that we almost had a Trump situation in Brazil with Bolsonaro refusing to accept defeat and actually doing something that it was looked very poorly across the region. Initially, I rather liked Bolsonaro. Then at the end, uh, I was unwilling to excuse his, uh, all his crypto uh, uh, sort of uh, fantasies and dislikes for the fact that he was uh, he ran incompetently a, a huge economy. Anyway, Bolsonaro didn't attend Lula's uh, uh, taking over ceremony. This is just a huge no-no in Latin America. Every single outgoing president follows his incoming president and hands over the presidential chance. Well, Bolsonaro didn't, and that was very childish. Now, uh, Lula, for my point, for my sake, point number two, is he still carries a colossal guilt, and that is, during his presidency and during the presidency of his follower and absolutely close relationship and uh, colleague, that was uh, Rueff, the Brazil 
uh, uh, scandal, the Lava Jato scandal, of, based primarily on, uh, on, uh, uh, on the Brazilian oil company, was avidly taking place, and he still claims he didn't really know it. I mean, this is just not on. The third point is he has done some very good things on uh, elimination, partial elimination of, of, uh, of poverty, and that was based on not simply handing out money to the poor. So what about the economy? Do you think it's going to have a big, um, his, his presidency is going to have a big uh, um, impact on the economy? Yeah, well, look at this. Of all the currencies in the world that for the first half to three quarters of, uh, of uh, 22 absolutely collapsed versus the US dollar, guess what? The Brazilian real was doing great stakes. It was continually appreciating, as was little Uruguay's as peso. Why? Because of the exports of commodities. Very, very simple. So Lula starts with potentially, potentially a relatively strong external sector. And if he manages the fiscal situation appropriately, I think I will give him time. But I like democracies flourishing in Latin America. In other words, the guy took over with even if he was just a 4% over Bolsonaro. Just before we uh, say goodbye, Matt, just looking at the uh, uh, the Fed and the interest rates, uh, next announcement coming up on the uh, uh, 1st of February, likely. Um, what, what, what is the, what's the mood at the moment? What are the markets thinking? Um, another interest rate rise? Well, we're, we're in bizarro mode. You, you talked about that with the private payroll data, the ADP data that came out today in, in the U.S., which the market hated because they're now – cheering against the U.S. economy. Good, stronger than expected jobs, bad news. So we're in bizarro world right there where uh, investors are so uh, focused solely on monetary policy as the overarching uh, engine of, of what's good and bad that they kind of lose sight sometimes of the actual big picture. It's just a kind of a weird concept. We've been here many, many times before. And so we move to our tomorrow, Friday, uh, in the U.S., where people will be looking to see you know, what the jobs number done. So quietly, people will be, will be rooting for a, a terrible number. That's what they need to see to bring the rate down. But if the ADP report, which came in, you know, 50 percent, basically above what economists, the experts were looking for, if we were to emulate that again, uh, that percentage beat on the, um, on the non-farm payrolls number, we still would come in less than half of what we were for the December 2022 report. We were at almost 600,000. So let's keep that in mind as we wait and we try to gauge what the Fed is going to do. Monetary policy is kind of like chemotherapy, James. It's like you need to ease it up and you know, bring it on, kill the cancer, but just not quite kill the, kill the patient. That's exactly what the Fed is facing right here to kill the inflation which kills everybody but not kill the economy so the economy's bumping along at the bottom doesn't look like it's going to collapse but the, the short-term hand ringers will certainly be having that kind of split decision of rooting where wall street is rooting against main street pulling for different things well, thanks for that insight, Matt. Uh, Matt Nesto, Editor-in-Chief at Payments.com, long-time journalist and market watcher in New York. And also say thank you to Andrew Ferris, uh, CEO of Ecognisus uh, Advisory, and he is in Uruguay right now. Well, just before we go, we'll turn to the uh, oil markets. And um, earlier this week, we saw a downturn in crude oil prices. Overnight, uh, U.S. natural gas prices fell to their lowest level in more than a year. 
Russia, Ukraine, China, the Middle East, it's all in there. Well, let's try and understand a little bit more about what's going on in the oil world at the moment with Vandana Hari, uh, founder of Vanda Insights, who joins us now. Uh, Vanda, uh, what's going on at the moment? Good morning, James. Uh, Good question. I think the oil market participants are, are themselves still scratching their heads and trying to figure out. Uh, well, as we get into 2023, uh, clearly, uh, the, as you were just mentioning, uh, a big tumble in the first two days of trading crude lost 9% mm. uh, cumulatively. Uh, that was uh, quite sentiment-driven. So as we get into the new year, basically, uh, the fate of the global economy, uh, that is the dominant theme in the oil markets. But the, but the problem here is nobody really knows, you know, certainly not in the financial markets uh, and not in the oil markets, what sort of an economic downturn we're going to see this year. So, uh, you know, related to that, then the oil market needs to figure out um, what uh, or any kind of downturn will do to oil demand. Uh, And a close second for the oil market is also how Chinese reopening is going to shape up, which is as unpredictable as the global economy. How much is the Russia-Ukraine situation uh, still playing into all of this? Um, Not... on a very short-term, day-to-day basis, not much. I think uh, for the oil market, it's uh, all um, quite baked in. Uh, you know, we've uh, whatever the the, more, the, the biggest uh, tumultuous phase um, or phases um, were all uh, done and and dusted through 2022, which was uh, the EU and uh, other G7 members essentially forsaking uh, Russian oil. And, um, you know, December 5th was a, a, a key day when the, uh, the European Union completely halted all seaborne imports of Russian crude. But in the months leading up to that, uh, there was a gradual shift that had already begun. Uh, Russia sending more of its crude to China and India and the EU in turn uh, taking in crude from, um, you know, other, all other places uh, around the world. Uh, which had been freed up as a result of China and India taking in more Russian crude. So uh, there's, the, the gradual shift has already begun. Um, it's not on, on supply, Russian supply as such, the market doesn't seem too worried. Uh, it's a gigantic reshuffle of trade flows, no doubt. Uh, refined product uh, flows from Russia are going to see a similar trend uh, starting next month. But as of now, the market appears quite sanguine that uh, the the rerouting of flows uh, will. There might be teething troubles, but it will uh, happen over time. Are you optimistic that uh, the prices will recover? Where where do we see them in the next few months, do you think? So if you look at uh, 2022 averages in prices, uh, they averaged in the high 90s for, you know, we're looking at benchmark uh, crude futures, you know, Brent, WTI, Dubai and the like. Uh, which was, um, they were about 40% up year on year compared with 2021. I am uh, somewhat bearish for this year. I think uh, the um, economic uh, downturn is going to crimp demand. Uh, There will still be year on year growth because we still haven't recovered uh, to the 2019, the pre-COVID demand levels uh, around the world. So that will continue to happen this year. Uh, but, uh, of course, it's decelerating. The uh, global oil demand growth is not going to be as strong as, as last year. I see prices probably uh, around $80, so a good, you know, 10 to 15, or rather 15 to $20 on average below last year. Well, thanks very much for your uh, insight, Vandana. Vandana Harry uh, is the founder of Vanda Insights, our expert on uh, oil and gas. Uh, let's say thank you also to our other guests uh, this morning, and that's Andrew Ferris, uh, CEO of Ecognosis Advisory, and also Matt Nesto, 
uh, editor-in-chief at payments.com, long-time journalist and market watcher in New York. Thanks to all of you for joining us this morning. Let's have a quick look at the markets as they stand at the moment. Uh, currently, the ASX 200 is up uh, 0.3% at 7,084. Uh, the Nikkei 225 is down a fraction at 25,771. Uh, Hang Seng futures looking like they will see the market open around three quarters of a percentage point uh, higher this morning. Uh, mainly fine, dry during the day with a maximum temperature of around 23 degrees. Uh, moderate north to northeasterly winds expected. 18 Celsius, 63% uh, relative humidity at the observatory. The red fire danger warning is in force. It'll be back chat after the news headlines. And with the news headlines, here's Barry. The head of the Travel Industry Council has welcomed the gradual approach to resuming quarantine-free travel with the mainland. From Sunday, an initial quota will allow 60,000 people to cross each way. They must register online and submit a negative PCR test and health declaration. The council's executive director, Fanny Young, said the top priority was ramping up manpower and resources. She told RTHK that she expected mainland tour groups would return by early February. That will be after the CNY, Chinese New Year holiday. Well, most likely, I don't think it will be a lot of visitors. Most people crossing the boundaries will be visiting friends and relatives or some business transaction. So anyway, the quota is just 60,000 a day. So the portion of visitors, I think maybe around 20% at the most, and it won't be a group tour. For our group tour visitors, we were expecting sometimes around early February or mid to mid February around that timing. And we will expect around 10 tours per day, which is around a few hundred, less than a thousand a day. Ukraine has dismissed President Putin's announcement of a 36-hour ceasefire to coincide with the Russian Orthodox Christmas. President Zelensky said the truce was an attempt to stop Ukraine's military advances and allow Russian forces and equipment to move closer to Ukrainian positions. The ceasefire is due to come into effect at midday on Friday. A Ukrainian MP, Oleksiy Goncharenko, said Mr Putin should not be trusted. It's clear hypocrisy from Putin when he's speaking about some Christmas ceasefire. It's more like a Judas kiss from him. It's Russia who started this war. And if he really wants a peace, it's very easy to achieve it, uh, just to leave our territory. And that's all. But he doesn't want any peace in reality. He just wants to win the time to replenish, refresh his troops and then to attack again. President Biden has revealed an expanded system of legal entry into the United States for thousands of migrants, while also tightening restrictions at the southern border with Mexico. 30,000 people a month will now be able to fly directly to the U.S. from Cuba, Haiti, Nicaragua and Venezuela. Announcing the measures, Mr. Biden told migrants to not just turn up and expect to be let in. My message is this. If you're trying to leave Cuba, Nicaragua or Haiti or have agreed to begin a journey to America... Do not, do not just show up at the border. Stay where you are and apply legally from there. Starting today, if you don't apply through the legal process, you will not be eligible for this new parole program. Violence has spread across the Mexican state of Sinaloa after the arrest of one of the leaders of a powerful criminal gang. Ovidio Guzman is a senior figure in the Sinaloa cartel and the son of Joaquin El Capo Guzman, who's serving a life sentence in the U.S. The BBC's Leonardo Rocha reports. 
Mexico's Secretary of Defense Luis Sandoval said Ovidio was captured in the northern city of Culiacán in the early hours of Thursday. He said the arrest came at the end of a six-month surveillance operation, which had the assistance of U.S. officials. Gang members have since set up roadblocks with burning vehicles. The local airport was attacked and at least one airplane was hit by bullets as it prepared to take off. Residents have been told to stay at home while the authorities try to regain control of the situation.